0: Well, for All right, well, welcome back, listener, to another episode of the Fatal Conceits podcast, a show about money, markets, mobs, and manias. If you haven't already done so, please head over to our Substack page. You can find us at Research.substack.com. There you'll find hundreds of articles and everything from high finance to lowly politics. Plenty of research reports and, of course, more conversations just like this under the Fatal Conceits podcast tab at the top of the page. I'm delighted today to welcome to the show, I think for the first time, although we've spoken many times in private and uh, all around the world. And that is my dear friend, Mr. Doug Casey. Uh, For those few of you who are not familiar with his work, Doug is the original International Man, having written the book on the subject. He writes over at internationalman.com. He is also the author, along with John Hunt, of the High Ground series books, including Speculator, Drug Lord, and Assassin, which I hope we get to talk about in due course. And every Friday, he has the Doug Casey's Take, I think is the title of the podcast, so uh, that's a, another avenue for, for Doug to vent his, his many, uh, many opinions, and we're happy to have him on the show today. Doug, welcome to the Fatal Conceits podcast.
1: Well, it is a pleasure to be here with you, Joel. It's unfortunately all too rare to have a, uh, an intelligent conversation these days, certainly not with the locals in any area. I think that's one of the problems. That a lot of the people that listen to your podcast and, and, and mine have is that they don't have anybody intelligent locally to talk to that they can disclose what their philosophical and political views to without starting an argument. And I think that's where a lot of our listeners come from.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good place to start. I think I. Uh, I know that you're um, holed up stateside at, uh, we'll call it an undisclosed location uh, at the moment, but I'm wondering if if your uh, current experience is resonant with the last time I spent in the in the US, which was just a couple of months ago. I don't think after having been back and forth to the United States and having lived there for some years in the interim period, I've experienced a more on-edge uh kind of political climate where everybody, and this is running the gamut of uh, of the political spectrum, both on the right and the left, seem to be just at a hair trigger on any given subject and, and rushing to be offended in any way possible. Is that similar to your experience at present? Uh,
1: yes, exactly. Uh, it seems that Americans have broken into two groups, the red people and the blue people, and they don't like each other. In fact, they actually hate each other. That uh, rant that uh, Biden gave on, I think it was September 1st, where he had a black background with heavy red overlay and the two Marines in the background, all of this is unprecedented for a political speech in the U.S., especially that red and black background, which is uh, semi-psychotic, and, and then his speech, which was actually mildly psychotic, talking, uh, giving a speech, talking about how hateful and awful and unpatriotic and dangerous and that the MAGA people were, who, as far as I can tell, are basically just salt-of-the-earth, middle-class people that are disturbed with the direction of the U.S., but the direction of the U.S. is accelerating, and Biden's speech was almost a declaration of civil war, uh, and it was very dangerous. I mean, not only the uh, not only the raid on Trump's house, but then the arrest and perp walking of something like forty or fifty prominent Republicans for no reason other than the Republicans lots of anecdotal stuff out there, and the hiring of 87,000 new IRS agents. I mean, the type of person that will join the IRS voluntarily, they're the same type that would join the Gestapo. And I'm afraid that these new people are going to be used, like the Gestapo, And you have to. I'm sorry, I'm going on, Joel, but I'm just. No, no, it's very,
0: it's it's very important. I mean, I I think a lot of these things are kind of rattling around in uh, somewhere deep in the in the uh, craniums of the general population. But I think that they're they it's difficult to put these things to words because, as you said, the the actions are so unprecedented, and and this comes from you know comes from from both sides. No, no doubt that there are the worst of. Uh, you know, the body politic expressed at the extremes of both ends.
1: Well, we are approaching a genuine civil war, actually. And uh, maybe she's not as far off base as we might think, because uh, the U.S. has changed radically uh, in my lifetime from a country that uh, people shared a culture. They shared generally a religious orientation, uh, certainly a language, uh, traditions. It was actually a real country. But now the US has devolved into genuinely a multicultural domestic empire where you have large numbers of migrants from a totally different culture, different language, different traditions. Different everything. Uh, and yes, the U.S. has always had migrants, uh, Italians and, and and Irish and God knows what. But the new people are very, very different. And I think great numbers of them are coming for different reasons than those past immigrants did. Uh, there was no welfare in those days of past migrations. But now... Uh, Migrants come here, and they're immediately put on welfare. Uh, so it's 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 actually changing the character uh, of the U.S., where traditions are being washed away, and where individuals are actually all living in bubbles where they're not connected with no. other warm-blooded people. They're connected with their electronic devices. And um, there's a recent book that came out by a, a Belgian professor at the University of Ghent. And I'm normally suspicious of European professors. They're all hardcore <laughs> leftists, <laughs> all right. Marxists. But uh, this guy is not. His name is Matthias Demet. And uh, he, uh, he points out that we're getting a psychological mass formation Uh, especially in the U.S., but around the world, where people, when everything's washed away and people aren't believing in things they used to believe in, they're looking for something new to believe in. And this is very dangerous. This is how the great cultural revolution of China formed similar circumstances. Mm -hmm. And uh, it could happen here in the U.S., uh, so I'm, uh, I'm quite uh, pessimistic uh, in many ways, and especially since if the U.S. and what's left of the U.S. Constitution is washed away, which it is being, being interpreted out of existence over many years, um, there will be nothing left in the world, no place you can run and hide. Mm. In other words, this is happening worldwide. Really disturbing.
0: And you think uh, it does seem, at least uh, since you and I have spoken down here in Argentina about this at great length over many an unhurried lunch, but it does seem in the past few years that this trend is accelerating. Is is that kind of your read from from the ground there in
1: the US? No question about it. Because... Whether or not the Democrats stole the election in 2020, I think they did. I I don't have any proof of that personally. I don't monitor these things, boots on the ground, but yes, I I think they did. Uh, Although they accused the the Trumpies of having stolen it in 2016 uh, also. But um, let's admit it, the people that control the apparatus of the state, Now, in Washington, D.C., these people are exactly the same psychological profile with the same political beliefs as the Jacobins were in 1793, the same damned Mm -hmm. people, just updated, or for that matter, the Bolsheviks in 1917, which means they're radical, they want to overturn the basic structure of society. They're really very, very dangerous. And now that they've been in control for two years, they're doing the best they can to overturn traditional America. And I think that come the elections uh, in November, I think they're going to do anything they can to uh, stay in power and not let the uh, Republicans, which are pretty worthless, but they're much better than the Democrats, Take control, and uh, so I'm uh, actually anxious to get back to um, peaceful and uh, friendly Uruguay and Argentina before mm-hmm. the elections. Because I, th- I mean, this isn't a prediction, but I think it's a distinct possibility that things could get wild and woolly in this country real quickly around the time the, of the elections, early November.
0: Yeah, well, before we go uh, and take a little look around the world at at some obviously many inflection points and flashpoints of geopolitical unrest that I'd I'd like to get your take on, um, it's it's obviously no secret, and you've written extensively about the the rise and decline of of empire. Uh, most recently, I think I saw an article of yours uh, comparing the uh, decline of the. American empire to that of the Roman empire for many, many reasons, which could probably fill a whole other discussion. But I'm wondering if you think that we are in that sort of terminal, inexorable uh, uh, decay, and if we're very close to that, uh, what people who are, are, you know, they're living in the United States, they don't necessarily want to move to down to Uruguay, where you are, or Argentina, or some other part of the world, uh, for any one of a million reasons. Uh, they want to stay in the united states they want to stay and and fight for the country that they thought that uh, you know that they grew up with and that they enjoy and that they love um, and and to be close to their families there are things practical and however small though they may be that that individuals can do to kind of avoid getting caught in the the crossfire if indeed the situation does deteriorate to a kind of civil war like uh episode in history
1: yeah, what can you do today? It's kind of reminiscent of Lenin's phrase, "What is to be done," which is a little bit different.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> the passive voice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. So, what what should an American who's concerned at this point do? Well, I'm of the opinion that, notwithstanding well, or perhaps abetted by it, could be either one, Uh, the efforts of our our idiotic central bank, which should be abolished, that uh, I think all the markets could melt down. It would be be chaos if it happens, because the only thing that would remain is the debt in the country. And of course, these fools are working now to, to... wash away a lot of the student debt so that the people that have foolishly borrowed a lot of money to get worthless degrees and be indoctrinated, uh, and generally they're the more leftist-oriented because they've been indoctrinated, uh, they're going to get a free ride to go to college so that their incomes will be higher and the average guy's got to pay for it. But the problem is, is that trillion and a half of debt uh, out there has got to be dealt with, and if the stock market melts down, truly melts down, and I could, I can speculate as to how low it could go, and the bond market melts down, because I think that eventually we're going to see interest rates in the U.S. on government paper not just at five percent or ten percent, it'll go back to the levels it was in the early 1980s, fifteen or twenty percent. At which pace, at which point, it'll just about correspond to inflation. So you still won't be getting a re- real return on your money, but that's where it's going to go. Uh, it's it's going to overthrow the financial fabric of the U.S., and that is especially with everybody indebted mm. the way they are. Their car loans, their mortgage loans, their student loans, their consumer loans. Uh, it could be a real upset. I mean, you're gonna have a lot more people living under bridges, um, losing their houses. Uh, so, this this is serious. So,
0: so what about people? I, I mean, I've heard people say, "Look, this happened in the '70s. You know, we had an we had an oil embargo in the '70s. We had." Uh, you know, we had the Nixon shocks, uh, the Nixon economic shocks. We had the, the the severing of of the dollar from gold, the final severing of of the dollar from gold. And, you know, it was kind of off to the races since, but we also had, you know, 40-year um, high um, inflation at the time. And, and so for people who sort of map the current uh, situation onto the 70s and arrive at the conclusion that, well, it was kind of tough then, but, you know, we pulled up our britches and we we managed to muddle our way through it and we came out on the other side with this big explosive growth for the next uh you know 20 30 40 years what uh, what to you is is different between now and then is it just that we have now just an exponentially larger uh debt harness that is is strapping us down and and what might be done about that i'm short of a a, a jubilee and a sort of hitting the, the reset button which is not something incidentally that people aren't talking
1: about. Yes, they are talking about it. Uh, The big problem with debt is that, well, other than that, some people owe it to some other people. So uh, somebody's going to wind up unhappy if they don't get their money back. But it's that uh, when you have debt, it means that you're living above your means. That's what high debt means anywhere. Somebody's been living above their means. Just as if you have high savings, it means that you've been producing more than you've been consuming and you've saved the difference. That's how you get wealthy. So debt is the mirror image of that. And the U.S. has looked good for the last 30, 40 years because of all this debt. It's like if I went out and I borrowed a million dollars tomorrow morning. I mean, I can live really high off the hog. I mean, cars and restaurants and trips for the next year or two years or however long. And I, I, But I'd be in a fool's paradise because after I spent that money, the debt's still there. And my standard of living is gonna drop By more than it art. In other words, debt brings on an artificially high standard of living, but then when you pay it back, it brings back a very real lower standard of living because you've got to pay it back with interest. And of course, the fact that it's being inflated out of existence is even worse because the only way the bottom of society gets better. Is by putting aside some dollars and building capital, but if it's being inflated away faster than you can save it, you're what you are is you're igniting the fuse on a time bomb. So it's uh, it's even worse than this, Joel. I mean, think it can't get any worse. I'll tell you what's worse. It's that it used to be the U.S. wasn't was investing all around the world. And people were investing in the US, but our main export in the US for 40 years, more than 40 years now, has been not Boeings and wheat and and manufacturers. Our main export has been dollars. So now there Mm. are tens of trillions of dollars that are outside the US owned by non-Americans that don't have to own those dollars. And when they get scared enough of those dollars, they will dump them. And when they can't dump them to each other anymore at lower values, they will come, those dollars will come back to the US where they'll buy stuff that Americans now own, like titles to stocks and and real estate and so forth. So, uh, the average American is in for a very rude awakening in the mm. next few years. Our main export is now dollars, it's paper. And we're gonna have lots of pissed off foreigners that are not gonna want to get stuck holding dollars because it's the only currency that's worth holding, that's liquid. And when that falls apart, this is this whole problem is gonna go international.
0: Right. It might well, be wooly
1: enough. No, we can.
0: We can probably get more we can probably get gloomier. Let's let's broaden the, the, the horizons a little bit, segueing from uh debt and civil war to the internationalization of both. And as you were speaking just then about the ebb and flow of these dollars which have been uh you know spirited off around the world to uh bag holders uh in Russia, for example, or in China or in uh other current uh, other countries that have kept their uh, forex reserves or some portion thereof in dollars, many of those countries are now uh, finding themselves on the other end of dollar weaponization since the beginning of uh, the conflict in uh, the Eurasian steppes early in this uh, in this year, February, whatever it was. Uh, were you, just to back up a little bit for some context, were you, first of all, surprised that... Um, that Mr. Putin would uh, respond uh, contra NATO's advancement as he did is that your read on it, uh, and and we can get into maybe afterwards uh, what the relevant sanctions of those on the West on the, on Russia and its allies have have
1: wrought for
0: days and months to come.
1: Well, let me take this opportunity to uh, antagonize. Uh, those of our listeners that I haven't already antagonized by saying that uh, if you were a Martian looking at the situation today, I think you'd have to support Russia, not the Ukraine, uh, which is one of the world's most corrupt countries. In fact, I don't call it Ukraine. It used to always be called the Ukraine, which means borderland. It's always been an area. It's never been a country, actually. Uh, until Lenin made it a country uh, after the Russian Revolution. But I call it the Ukraine, uh, 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 even though most people now call it Ukraine. So what am I saying here? It's that uh, I think it was a a mistake, a real error, for uh, Putin to invade uh, the Ukraine. Uh, It's a pity he did that, but he was massively provoked, where he almost had no alternative. What we have here is what amounts to a border war between two shithole countries. That's what it amounts to. Mm -hmm. And this is an area of the world that's had border wars where the colors of the map on the wall have have been flowing for the last thousand years. And this is just a continuation of that. So there's absolutely zero reason for the U.S. or, or Western Europe to get involved in a, in a border war between two nothing-nowhere countries. But they can't leave well enough alone. And Putin was provoked because after the 2014 Maidan revolution, uh, a Russian puppet was replaced by a U.S. puppet. And now a very aggressive and dangerous and stupid U.S. puppet in the form of Zelensky. Uh, People don't realize that uh, uh, Crimea has always been part of Russia, or always, nothing's always, but for the last 300 years has been part of Russia. And it only became part of Ukraine when, for totally domestic political reasons, and when he was drunk, which he often was, uh, Khrushchev gave it to the Ukrainian SSR Uh, Now Russia wants it back for lots of perfectly good reasons. And the average American doesn't realize that starting with 2014, the Ukrainian army, uh, which has been trained by NATO, attacked those two provinces, the Donbass, which which are full of Russians, which seceded from the Ukraine. So, yeah, Putin had plenty of... uh, Plenty of reasons to attack the Ukraine, but he didn't want to destroy the country. He just wanted those two things back. It's reasonable enough. And show the West Ukraine cannot become part of NATO, which was a violation of things that were agreed on before. But this could get truly out of control at this point. it's, It's taken on a life of its own, where I think the Russians realize that we have to destroy the Ukrainian army. And now, what are the Americans going to do? So,
0: yeah, it does seem like a like an escalating game of chicken, where neither side is willing to lose face, even though both sides have have probably made some regrettable errors, uh, which they certainly wouldn't admit in their own respective. Uh, non-respectable media outlets uh the, the propaganda on one side and on the other side but were you uh were you taken aback at all by the weight of the sanctions from nato and her allies and in particular i'm talking about the uh the seizing of uh huh. private citizens property the weaponization of the of the us dollar in the forms of uh confiscated or suspended reserves at which may eventually r- result in a, a bifurcation of the global financial payment system into swift and whatever other non swift entity comes to uh, comes to take the other side of the of the ledger there
1: these jacobins that control the us government are really quite stupid on a basic level stupidity is the inability Several definitions, but one definition is it's, it's not just the uh, inability to determine the immediate and direct consequences of what you do, but the indirect and delayed consequences of what you do and stealing the assets of Russian citizens, whether they're good guys or bad guys or not. we You know, sure, most of the oligarchs are bad guys, I suppose. But that's not an excuse, if you believe in the rule of law, to steal a country's assets and that of its private citizens. This is incredibly provocative. I mean, they're just asking for trouble. And if you back the Russians into a corner, I don't know where it's it's, it's going to end. And and in addition, like you said, Joel, uh, now the Chinese and the Indians and Other countries are saying, you know what? These Americans are totally unreliable. They're destroying their currency. Their banking system is unreliable. I mean, we can't be so stupid that we have to continue using the SWIFT system where we have to trade in dollars that all go through New York, which is dangerous. So, yeah, I I, I think that half of the world's countries or more, three-quarters of the world's countries, are going to find alternatives to the dollar and to the SWIFT system and using American banks. And this is going to devastate America. Well, of course, just like uh, natural gas supplies being cut off are going to devastate Europe. This, I don't know. Or is the natural gas going to start flowing magically? I don't think it will. I think there's going to be some cold Europeans. And of course... Natural gas is important for the manufacture of fertilizer. And it's, and it's not just that, but it's, it's, it's potash and phosphorus have been cut off. And, you know, you're going to have some cold and hungry people in poor countries. Mm. I mean, this is the start of something big here. This is equivalent to the start of World War III.
0: Yeah, we saw uh, obviously it was um, food protests in the form, I think, of self-immolation of a man in Tunisia that kicked off that the whole Arab Spring. It's it's one thing to have a a, a slight delay on your eye gadget uh, for a week, but when you can't feed your family and when the price of grains or you know fertilizers or fuel to heat your home uh, goes beyond reach, then people start to uh, you know, desperate people do desperate things. And I think that can have a, have a kind of cascading effect. Uh, it, incidentally, I think it probably bears mentioning that there there is so much nuance that really needs to be um, sorted through in these highly complex geopolitical questions that I think, as you started off the conversation by uh, addressing, it just seems to be beyond... The general conversational capabilities of most people to have that discussion and not kind of, you know, their heads explode with some kind of reactionary, um, you know, re- reactionary uh, madness. But it, it is possible to believe, for example, that Mr. Putin might be an, you know, whatever monster, whatever, epi- you know, whatever pejorative we, ch- you know, we choose to invoke. And also believe that the that uh the NATO powers have been provocative and stupid and shot themselves in the foot. Those two things can coexist. It doesn't need to be one guy in uh, you know, the devil's horns and another in a you know riding in on a on a on a a white horse. Um but
1: I, oh, you're, you're, it, you're absolutely right, Joel, because the people that are running all these Western European countries are they're all Dyed-in-the-wall dogmatic socialists—they're uh, nothing, nobodies—that have somehow gotten elevated to the point where they can boss around uh, all all of their countrymen. And I would actually say that if you compare what Putin has done since he took over Russia, I mean, he's reduced the uh, national income tax rate to what is it, ten or thirteen percent about the lowest on the continent. So that's a positive thing. Uh, he's he's actually done a lot of things. It's not like it's been a free market revolution in Russia, but under Putin, the place is just vastly improved and vastly better than it was uh, in, in Soviet days. And is he a nice guy? I'd say he's a much more intelligent guy. And judging by what he says, I mean, he's much less duplicitous than the nothing-nobodies running Western Europe at this point.
0: And it does seem like those um, those nothing-nobodies, as you say, in uh, on the continent are going to be shivering this winter. Uh, you mentioned our mutual friend Rick Rule before uh, we jumped on our recording here, and I spoke to Rick at the end of 2020 beginning of sorry end of 2021 beginning of 2020 and he was absolutely adamant that uh energy prices would continue to rise it was the uh, and this was before a single shot had been fired in the russo-ukrainian conflict um but he was he was absolutely spot on uh with that and he had predicted that the, the event that we had was called the winter catastrophe um it looks like now general winter is entering the fray not only in the conflict but is also going to be uh, exerting his influence uh, across the the new lean green uh, acres of germany and and beyond how does this play out in in energy markets and what does this say of the the prescience of the political elites in Europe and those, of course, who are spreading their, their, uh, you know, their green agenda to Australia and across the United States and in Canada. What, what does it say about their um, either inability to predict the future or their malice uh, and mendacity in bringing it about such as it pro- will undoubtedly occur this coming winter for a lot of shivering people?
1: Well, you're right. I think these people are both stupid and ignorant and evil. All three, actually. Um, look, I, nothing wrong with green stuff—a uh, windmill uh, or or some solar. I mean, sometimes in some places it can make sense, but it's not the basis for mass power generation for an industrial society, at least not yet. Uh, These things should not be centrally directed by government to start with. Uh, It's it's not going to work, and it's going to be a total and complete disaster. If they wanted to do anything, it would be build lots of nuclear power plants. And nuclear power, even though it's been promoted as the enemy of everything, uh, Is actually the cleanest and the cheapest and the safest form of mass power generation by far, but uh, that's not happening. Uh, well, it'll start happening, but it's going to take years to start building these nuclear power plants, and they'll be Generation Four. Uh, we should be, we should already, or would already be at the stage. Were small, and by small I mean the size of a size of a large room. Uh, nuclear power plants are buried uh, to be dug up ten years later and 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 replaced for every town uh, in the country. But that wouldn't is not going to happen because of political reasons. So, uh, what should you do? I guess we're getting back to this subject that you brought up earlier. Well, what should the average guy do at this point? And I think that now continues to be, even though uh, the price of uh, oil stocks and natural gas stocks uh, have eh, doubled in the last year, I'd say. They're still real cheap. Why do I say that? Uh, If you go back to 1980, when uh, oil was the big thing, uh, 30% of the value of the S&P was oil stocks. And oil-related stocks. As of last year, it was only 3%. It had dropped 90%. Now, it's gone up to maybe 5% now. But they're still really, really cheap. And oil is much more important now than it has been in the past. And I'd throw coal and nuclear into this mix, those four things. So I'd say that since they're still real cheap, And a lot of these things have good dividend yields or low price earnings ratios, like Petrobras, the Brazilian national oil company, selling at four times earnings. Last year, it kicked off a dividend of 25%. Hmm. That's pretty good. Uh, That shows how cheap these things are. So I think people should be looking to buy these stocks. Why are they so cheap? Because the institutions are all into ESG environmental, social governments, and DIE, diversity, it's all destructive, stupid nonsense. So BlackRock and Vanguard and all these big mutual funds and hedge funds, uh, they all talk to each other. They all have the same background. They go to the same clubs. They all want to be invited to the World Economic Forum. Uh, So they don't own any of these oil stocks. And the oil companies have been thoroughly intimidated. At this point, Mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to invest in something that, in this political environment, so oil is going to stay here and go higher, natural gas is going to stay here and go higher. You should buy those stocks, I think. Uh, I've been doing it for years, uh, and selling selling naked puts against them, actually, is what I've been doing more than anything else. So that's one thing you should be doing for sure, Mm -hmm. investment-wise. Uh, there's, not, there's most other stuff, even with the stock market coming down, we're heading for, I think we're heading for a long-term bear market. I don't want to own most, I don't want to own Amazon or Google or any of that crap. I really don't. These are just ephemeral digits, quite frankly. Uh, I like to, the idea of owning real stuff.
0: And hard to hard to power all those ephemeral digits without real stuff Burning in a furnace somewhere, keeping the lights on, keeping the heat on. Um, Real quick,
1: that's the you'll find out department.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. Um, Doug, real quick, because I know we're we're butting up against a a, a solid hour here, and uh, and I I do appreciate your time. I wanted to get um, before we leave to your uh, books. I believe you're working on your fourth, and for listeners who. Uh, are not keeping abreast of the series. Uh, we have speculated drug lord and assassin. I think was the last one. If I have those uh, in correct order, uh, what are what's coming down the pipes? When when do we get to terrorist? That's what I think everybody wants to yes, know.
1: Terrorist <laughs> is the next one, and, and John and I are getting ready to uh, put pen to paper on it. Uh, basically, this series of books. It's um. Let's say, from one point of view, it's Atlas Shrugged in a more readable form and for a new era. And it takes our hero, Charles Knight, from youth where he gets lucky on a gold mining stock in Africa and makes a million dollars, comes from nothing to... This is possible with these crappy little mining stocks, which in a bull market they'll go 100 to one they can go a thousand to one i've personally owned a couple that have gone a thousand to one although i didn't hold hold them all the way up i mean that would have been too good to be true that's a tough ride (laughs) uh, they were very very good to me so charles in speculator goes to africa gets involved in a bush war and uh boy soldiers and all this type of thing and Makes money, has, has it stolen from by the government, but he keeps some and he becomes a drug lord. I'm trying to reform the reputations of unjustly besmirched occupations. And we talk about the drug industry, both the FDA type drugs and the DEA type drugs. And Charles gets into more trouble now, developing a marvelous new drug uh, that instead of confusing your mind, makes your mind clear. So of course they want to outlaw that. So now he's put in jail. And after he gets out of jail, he becomes assassin because he figures there are some people that just need killing. Now, I can't say that in a nonfiction book, but in a fiction book, you can say whatever you want. So that was Assassin. And that's a very good book. It's the most recent but terrorist is going to be more daring yet. And um, so I have a lot of views and opinions on terrorism, after which he becomes, in the next book, he becomes a warlord where he goes back to Africa and becomes a a warlord that transforms uh, a backward shithole country into Singapore on steroids. And there are two more books after that that get really radical. But anyway, don't fall behind and, I urge all of our listeners to call up Amazon and uh, get those books. You'll be glad you did.
0: Yeah, outstanding. All right, I'll include some links to uh, to all of these books and your uh, various other outlets, uh, websites, and podcasts. Of course, Doug, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, and I look forward to enjoying an unhurried lunch when you're back down at the other end of the Americas, down here at the Fin del Mundo. On one side and or I'll other, see, other I'll see you
1: down there in less than well, less than two months, and um, maybe when we do this again, say next year at this time, we can see how right or wrong I've been on these things, and whether the world still exists in anything resembling its current form.
0: Yeah. If anything, it'll it, it may be a teachable moment, as the kids say yeah. horribly these days. <laughs> okay, oh, Doug. Okay. I look forward to talking to you again. Cheers.
1: Thanks, so.
0: You too.